Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 207, recording on Thursday, April 27th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. We just, um, in the Book Riot Insider Slack this week, I released like six minutes of pre-show banter that wouldn't be part of the show, just as a gag, just because it was fun and we mm-hmm. were a little late. And Rebecca, we were having our normal pre-show banter this time, and there was some excellent non-book <laughs> Jeff-related uh, content that we missed. It was it, lost in was. the ether. I'm it so was, sad about it. Probably. I know. Me too. It was quality. And like my update on last week's pre-show banter was that I now have watched the Silicon Valley season premiere. Oh, I did too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, a was, little lackluster, I have to say. To yeah. You got to re- reposition the chess pieces mm-hmm. a little bit. I think there's some good potential yes, there. Agreed. I'm happy to see summer tea, like spring and summer TV, coming back. It should be. And, and, the, and the Handmaid's Tale's out. It was out, right? Yes, there's they. So they dropped. I finally did figure out what was going on with the Handmaid's mm. Tale. They released the first three episodes yesterday on the 26th, and then everything else will be weekly. So you can like get a taste of the first three, and then uh, wait for the weekly oh. rollout. Yeah. Huh. It's mm-hmm. like a diet binge, like two free refills, like right. not and a whole unlimited, but like you get a little extra. Yeah. Even my friends who have Hulu were like, do you guys want to come over and binge The Handmaid's Tale? And <laughs> it was like, well, we can have like, a, we can start the bender, but we can't go all the way. <laughs> I wonder what the logic is behind that. I guess just people get people hooked. Maybe you know, so. You get three yeah. in the can. I don't, I don't understand like the... They don't want you to do the trial. That's what it is. That must be it. I would say I'm not just like dumping it at once because you do get all that good, you know, engagement of like, like when Netflix releases 12 Grace and Frankie's in one day, I'm watching all 12 of them within like a 24 hour period. That's the the unit of measure. One serving size, 12 Grace and Frankie episodes. It is. That's accurate. (laughs) 12 Grace and Frankie's and three whiskey gingers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's must because they anticipated the the hack that I think we talked about last time, which Uh is signing up for a trial. So you get three, you get hooked, and then they parse out one a week for the next. So at least you got a pony up for a yeah, couple months. Yeah. You know, interesting conversation, way too much to recap on this podcast, but it's been really interesting in the news about the handmaid's mm-hmm. tale and the press cycle around it. And like actors saying it is, or isn't a feminist story. And then Atwood having to weigh in on yeah. <laughs> what this and, book and, is about. And, and MA is just like, hold, hold, hold. I know here. she's like, yeah. y'all, you went out. Yeah. <laughs> You, you basically not all mend the, the yeah. handmaid's tale. <laughs> well, I do have to remember about actors that they're, and this is not a slag. It's it's just the way it is. It's kind of like athletes where, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't necessarily go to college. A lot of them, you know, they went to, they went right out and, or if they did, it, school wasn't the most important thing to them. Book learning, let's put it that way, which is fine. And so sometimes they don't even know, you know, fem, they've, they've, they've gotten this sort of um, bastardized version of what, yeah, there's a lot of pressure to not upset anyone who might mm-hmm. potentially watch your show so that you can keep making money in the same way. I think, yeah. you know, athletes is an interesting comparison there of like, you know, don't be racially divisive as an athlete because you want fans to buy tickets. Um, mm. Yeah, very interesting. But so they're, like, they're all kind of walking it back and like acknowledging that this is a feminist story. But it's going to be interesting to watch the whole thing roll out. Jen, our good coworker and um, dear friend is here visiting me this week and we're going to sit down on Saturday with Amanda and the three of us are going to watch and like, uh, I can't imagine all the sounds we're going to make. You're going to light a candle, <laughs> you know, get the crystals out, you know, That's whatever you need Like to we're going to build a pillow fort and just, you know, do the thing. Um, I can't even look at the stills. I'm like, oh, geez. 
I know it's like scary just thinking about what might happen. Um, before we get into the news, we have some Muppet arms to wave Yay! this week for our dear friend Rita Mead, who hosted the Dear Book Nerd podcast for us for a few years. She is a librarian and a children's book author. Her first book, Edward Gets Messy, uh, was released last year, and she just yesterday won the 2017 Anna Dudney Read Together Award, which celebrates a book that is both a superb read aloud and also sparks compassion, empathy, and connection. It commemorates the life and work of children's illustrator and author Anna Dudney, uh, who wrote the Anna Dudney was the Llama Llama books, right? I believe so. Um, and so, congratulations to Rita. This is a huge honor. Um, she and her illustrator will share a prize of $1,000 from the Children's Book Council, and Penguin is going to purchase and donate 250 copies of Edward Gets Messy to a school li- library or literary organization chosen by the winners. Um, that is a huge honor. I mean, what a, we were all so excited for Rita when the book came out, but this is just a huge deal, and we couldn't be happier for her. So Muppet Arms for Rita Mead. Congratulations I can give um, I can give anecdata support that my kids like the book. We oh, read it. It's we have so it. Cute. We read it. It's really cute. It's it's a super cute. Book. And um, maybe here's a fun link we can drop into the show notes for folks since we're talking about Anna Dudney and Llama Llama. The best thing I've seen on the internet in a long time. Ludicrous. Ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> freestyling Llama Llama. Um, I put it in this past week's this week in books newsletter. But if you don't get that or you didn't click on it the first time, we'll add that to the show notes. Mm-hmm. It is a delight. I didn't know that I needed to watch Ludacris be delighted with his, like, he looks so happy in the video that the thing he's doing is freestyle rapping Llama Llama, but it's the best. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's a definitely, that's, and I I know uh, Rita would also appreciate us connecting Ludacris rapping children's book to her, to her newts. Rita Mead is a, she is a karaoke beast. No, you don't want to, you don't want to front she's she could hustle you at karaoke she if there's a hustling version of karaoke like <laughs> it's with you know Rita. like the na- uh, what is it the, uh, what's the name of the the color of money oh, right yeah yeah uh you, you don't want to get hustled you don't, you don't get hustled. you really don't do you want to tell me about our first sponsor yeah let's do it it's, it's i found you by lisa jewel so here a nice little i almost tempted to leave it at just this sentence but I, i'll tell you some more about the book after this so in a windswept british seaside town single mom alice lake finds a man sitting on the beach outside her house he has no name, no jacket, and no idea how he got there. And against her better judgment, she invites him inside. You kind of don't need to say more about that, right? I'm That's al- the like, hook. I'm already scared. We're in. We're in. <laughs> yeah. We're in for that book. Um, but there's multiple narratives that that center, I guess, that will pull together to sort of solve the mystery of who this guy is, where he's come from. And then meanwhile, in the suburb of London, 21-year-old Lily Monrose has only been married three weeks, and her husband doesn't come home. And she's left stranded in a new country where she knows no one, right? And then the police show up and tell her that never existed, right? 23 years earlier, Gray and Kirsty are teenagers on a summer holiday with their parents. Their annual trip to the quaint seaside town is passing by uneventfully when an enigmatic young man starts paying extra attention to Kirsty. Something about them, something about him makes Gray uncomfortable, and that also then connects. So uh, I think that's enough. Right there's two multiple mm-hmm. decades of secrets, a missing husband, a man with no memory. They're at the heart of this new novel, filled with let's see who who said this. Uh, the Daily Mail, beautiful writing, believable characters, pacey narrative. Never seen pacey as an adjective, but I like that pacey narrative and dark secrets. Um, Lisa Jules Love has big readerships on both sides of the Atlantic, so go check that. Sounds like a pretty good if you like a little beach reading with a little edge to it, because like you're on seaside mm-hmm. towns and stuff, but it's just all not like. I don't know. It's lighter, but it's a little darker. Does that make sense? It's the middle. There's a balance. Yeah, yeah, you, got a yeah. little, you, got, you got a little edge, a little spice. So that's I Found You by Lisa Jewell. Thank you so much to them for sponsoring the show this week. We get sort of a um, we get sort of a poo-poo platter of, of Jeff annoyances this week on the show. Uh, <laughs> should we start with... A variety of rants. A vari- well, actually, no, that's not true. There's really only one. Well, we'll save that for a little bit later. Uh, follow up from last week, got a lot of good feedback about the personalized reading recommendations we asked you to, to report back on about libraries and bookstores where, you know, you can get personalized reading. The thing I didn't mention last week that I should have just as a, as an example is that comic shops have pull lists, Mm -hmm. which if you don't, if you don't have a comic shop or haven't been one or don't know this, 
you know, issues come out regularly, but it can be very, I mean, you think it's hard to keep track of new book releases? Like when the next issue of your favorite comic series are coming out is a disaster. Oh, and it's a moving target so oh, often. Yeah, right. yeah. And if it's delayed or whatever. So what they'll do is you say, I want to subscribe to all the, the bitch planets or all the Black Panthers or all the monstresses. And so anytime one comes out, they'll put it in your box. So you have your name on a, on a, you know, these big comic boxes. And the next time come in, you say, what's in my pull box? And you see, you just get them right there. So it's, you're, it's like you're subscribing, but you're not paying up front. And then every time you wander in. And then what also will happen, since there are those locations, you know, there's uh, Jeff's pull box, and these are the comics he likes. Sometimes the sellers will put things in that pull box that you aren't subscribing to, they think you might like. You don't have to buy it, but the next time you come in, they'll be there and say, oh, what's this? And it's a really good way of curating that collection. And that's, I don't know that, I don't know what percentage of comic stores have A, the pull list at all, and B, this sort of secondary service. But I definitely heard from people, I was like, yes, I should have mentioned that. The other one is like, it really depends on the bookstore. Some situations, you can develop a relationship with the bookseller and they'll put stuff aside for you some, you know, there's too much, like at Barnes & Noble, the volume is is so heavy that it'd be difficult to know. Also, you know, not everyone that works at a Barnes & Noble, or not even everyone that looks at a bookstore, is reading ahead. And that's one thing our, our friend Melissa said, is like, you know, she tries to read ahead just for fun, but to know what's coming out. But then if you're trying to pull new releases for customers, well, you have to read new releases, right? Mm-hmm. Which not everyone does, which is totally understandable as well. I guess the librarians were the quickest and most... Um, uh, vociferous in their, you know, reminder that librarians can do this for you. They can help you, which we know. And I guess I'm more thinking less of the one-off. I'm looking for something like this, but more of kind of an anticipatory recommendation. Mm-hmm. Th- that's kind of what I'm. What we were speculating about. But you're right. Go to your librarian. Tell them what you want. Some people say that both librarians and patrons said they develop relationships with librarians. Librarians that they know. Um, a little bit about each other and, and sort of does that thing that we were saying is the platonic ideal of book recommendations is someone knows you well enough to anticipate uh, what you might like, but also you know them well enough to trust your recommend their recommendation. So it's, it's a tricky business, but thank you guys all so much for coming back um, with that. I did get an excellent link though. Uh, did you see this? I did. I, I, this is um, not, th- it's not what we were talking about in terms of this reciprocal book recommendation thing, but um one of y'all set in a link to this thing called Mr. B's Reading Spa. It's over in, in jolly old England. Uh, but what you do is you you book an appointment for some bookish pampering in one of our sumptuous bibliotherapy rooms. Our team of booksellers will learn all about your favorite reads by having an informal chat with you over coffee or tea and some delicious cake before Perfect. introducing you to a tower of books especially suited to your taste. It, it, this is all in pounds, so I don't know. You know, do, you can go Google uh, convert whenever you want. The readings, so it's eighty pounds for the appointment, but that includes fifty-five dollars to spend on your favorite recommendations. It includes Mr. B's mug and a cloth bag and a five-dollar gift card for your next visit. So I, I guess I wouldn't really think. I didn't think it, spa. I mean, maybe spa means something different in the UK. I don't because like spa. I feel like some part of you has to get pampered besides your, your mind. <laughs> there you should know, be steam and like you gotta, some rubbing. Got the steam, yeah, you got to put a towel on something, you know. <laughs> but but what it is, it's like you get, it's like a little tea date yeah. with book recommendations. Yeah. I this, like this. It, I like this too. I was thinking like this is a perfect thing for like a birthday party, like a small birthday party or like I'm at the age where I don't want to go to a traditional bachelorette party, but I would go to like a, let's all be. Now you're using your noodle. I like that. (laughs) They pay me to market things sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. It would be like, I think this would be so cool. Like what a cool gift to give someone, but what also a cool thing to do like with your book club or your best bookish friends for some occasion occasion like you're not gonna go just spend 80 bucks to do a thing in a bookstore on most normal days or at least i'm not but like to go and it does it like it looks the pictures here it looks like a therapist's office that just happens to have a bunch of books it looks very comforting and cozy and i would like to sit there and drink a tea and eat a delicious cake and talk to you about how like annie dillard is good but nothing scratches my terry tempest williams itch yeah right and have someone hand me a pile of recommendations that i could go through and then get a mug to commemorate the experience i think this is Mm. beautiful like that i want yeah i like that maybe you could rent them out by the rent the bookseller librarian by the hour and have them come to your bachelor party birthday party (laughs) 
something like that. Also, it would be a yes. great gift, like you know, the mother's. I good good time to mention oh, our Day, dad's yes. grads mm-hmm. mom mom's uh, recommendation show. If you want a, a recommendation request, shoot us an email podcast at bookriot.com. Get them in by the second, and we'll next week we're going to record that show next week for next weekend. Um, but get those in if you want them. But it would be it would be fun. Like for uh, my daughter's birthday, we had a face painter come. You know, mm-hmm. you char- they you uh, pay them by the hour, and but instead, of, and which was a lot of fun. But you can imagine for adults, because like for adults, for birthday parties, it's kind of a tough spot. Like you're going to go to a restaurant, or you're going to go to a bar, or bowling. I don't know. I feel like we, we've kind of tapped out the adult, the interesting adult birthday party things, mm-hmm. right? But this one, I you got they got something here, Mr. Yeah. B. I don't know, Mr. B. Is they got something here? I like this. Yeah, this is nice. And so many, like as we've talked about, so many great bookstores have coffee shops in them, or there's like mm-hmm. a coffee shop down the block. Yes. Like you could partner with a bakery and just yes. buy like a cake and do a thing. Like this is a thing that a bunch of indie bookstores could, and I think mm-hmm. should do. Like build into the cost to account for the bookseller's time. Yeah. So you like? But, so let me. So you're saying like you're gonna rent? You're gonna pay for like two hours, but that. You're going to buy – it's kind of like going to a bar and you're going to guarantee a certain amount of spend at yeah, the bar. Like right. We're going to buy $250 worth of books and maybe they even bring a bunch of copies so they can hand them out. You know, they get it, bring it out of their Santa's bag. Like, mm-hmm. okay, this is what I've got for you. This is what I've got for you. I like that idea. Yeah, like you're going to spend your $80 to have this experience yeah. and 55 of it comes back to you as a credit basically to spend on books. So you've got to mm-hmm. walk away with 55 pounds worth of books in right. this case to – to have done the thing. Mm-hmm. So they're going to sell some books no matter what. Gonna they're also accounting for their time and you're getting a $5 or five pound gift card for your next visit. So they have That's what their they call the hook. That's what they call the you hook. to come yeah. back. It's very, this is very smart. I think the only thing I might like more than this is like the best bartender in Richmond to come to my house and make me and my friends like whatever kind of drink we want. You can do, I think you can do that. That's, that's pretty expensive though. Yeah. I mean, that, that's but, true. That would be expensive. Uh, this would be, I think this is a lovely, it's so smart and it's a lovely yeah. idea. And if you don't want to do like a big party, go on a bender thing, you could go on a book bender. Yes. And there's this other occasion now too that we need it. We don't have a name for it. Maybe Hallmark can come up and make it into a, a real holiday that I've seen in my friend's circle mm-hmm. of friends and wider mm-hmm. circle of friends. That is about three months after a baby is born in a family unit, there's an impetus for other people to like give a a massage gift certificate or go, you know, offer to babysit and go out for dinner, or go to mm-hmm. a hotel, whatever. This would be a nice, that would be, this would be a nice instance of that. You know, go pick up some books, get an hour out of the house. You don't have to go drinking. You can do it in the middle of the day. Right. right you know, you, right. it's enough where you don't have to go out at night and like be out and whatever, like get you out of the house and does a little something fun. And it's a nice little, it's a, it's a, it's a treat. Uh, yeah, treat yourself. or you could build it into like a treat yourself weekend. Like this could be, yeah. you could, you know, send the new parents off to the hotel for the weekend. And this is just the thing they go do on Saturday afternoon mm-hmm. or like go pick up your books and then hole up in your hotel or your Airbnb for the weekend. This is perfect. You know what? The name of our service for this should be treat your shelf. <laughs> that has to be it. Obviously. Obviously. That's um, the name. I have been nursing this dream for like as long as Book Riot has existed to do reading retreats. Mm-hmm. And as soon we were just as talking I, about it yesterday. As soon as I can figure out how to make them make money, we will have one. <laughs> but now it has to include a book spa. <laughs> like, do you think it's easier to bring, bring books to a spa or a spa to a bookstore? Probably books to a spa. Books to a spa. Yeah, not too many hot tubs just sitting around unused in bookstores. (laughs) Not that you'd want to get into anyway. Yeah, no. Not that you'd want to use. Yeah, I'm. I think the proposition of like bring your book to a spa is a little more appealing than come to a bookstore that has a hot tub in it. Did I tell you there's this place down the street from me? It's down the street. It's a mile away from me in Portland (laughs) where you can. It's like a hot tub. It's like bowling alley, but for hot tubs. You rent the hot tub by the hour. Oh, I've seen those places. I'm not sure I like that, Rebecca That's, Shinsky. I know, I'm not sure I'm okay with that. I feel also a little strange about that. Like, yeah, it's called like it's it's called like hot tub yourself or something like that. I guess because the calling it Legionnaire's disease keeps the people away. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And we went to a place in New Zealand that was like hot outdoor pools built over yeah. like it's heat for where they're heated by the sulfur springs and that's, See, like, that's nature that's okay yeah, and they have like the outdoor pools that are big and you're in public ones but they had private ones and i was like that feels strange to me <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> i yeah. don't know like i'm i don't know i am yeah, I I think maybe less squicked out by stuff in general like those kinds of things in general than you are but i'm pretty squicked out by the idea of that hot tub by the hour <laughs> like do that. not want do not want a uh, quick other follow-up um 
Sarah from Sarah Bookshelves uh, emailed us too that she's trying on her own blog personalized book recommendations where you like fill out a form and you can get you know personalized book recommendations. She's saying it's a, she's turning it as a trial that maybe if people want she might you know offer as a, a paid service of some kind. But I'll put a link in the show notes. Oh, cool. Um, where it's a Google form and she asks your age and things that you like and uh, you know she says what she can and can't recommend basically or, or she does she says she's not as good at graphic novels or sci-fi fantasy but she likes you know literary fiction some commercial n- memoirs so like she tell you she's telling you the part of it that you don't know about her like mm-hmm. is this the kind of person that would give me books uh, book recs for the kind of thing I would like um, so anyway, I'll yeah. check that out if you're interested in and uh, Sarah. Like, so thanks so much for letting us know about that. And Sarah. kind of right along those lines, a thing we just saw earlier yeah. today um, is Sam Missingham, who's an outgoing digital project manager at HarperCollins UK, is launching a website for book lovers called Lounge Books. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find it at lounge-books.com, or we'll have a link in the show notes. But it's intended to unearth hidden gems to help people who are looking for people-powered recommendations for discovering new books. Um, she plans to curate and run the website. This is, I think, the most interesting and maybe confusing part of it on a shoestring budget of 2,000 pounds. It doesn't say for how long, like for 2,000 pounds ever, for 2,000 pounds a month. Um, The initiative follows the news of her departure um, from her role as the digital project manager at HarperCollins. The role was made redundant. Um, So the new website is, she's going to be working closely with the book blogging community Mm -hmm. that she thinks of as the engine of book discovery. And she wants to amplify the work that book bloggers do. Sounds vaguely familiar. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Was that verbal side eye? I I think that was just front eye. That was just, yeah, just stare eye. (laughs) Just, that's not, uh, that's just your face. (laughs) Yeah, that's just my face. That's just my eyes. She has an advisory board built up of authors as well as um, some folks from the publishing industry. And so they are doing a variety of book coverage and intending to cover diverse voices. Um, and you can sign up for a newsletter. Um, she says she's doing it because it gives her the freedom to support books and authors that she feels passionate about. And she hopes that people will discover great new books. Um, it's going to be a hobby and she's hoping that lots of people will want to collaborate on it with her. Um, so that is a thing in the world now. I hope she's paying the book bloggers. I don't know. I, with 2000 pounds of seed money and you've done development and whatever, I, I would guess not. Um, I, I think any book site that is predominantly about saying discovery and recommending books has the problem that we've been talking about this week and last week about, People think that recommendations can be sort of a, a one-sided transaction where right. I am just going to recommend books to you and you will like them or you will believe me or you will you know, invest enough of your uh, emotional and psychological capital to then go out and buy the book and invest your time to do it. Where like what we've been talking about, like most good book recommendations, even if you recommend – even if, the, even if um, the, the book is the same being recommended – Mm-hmm. The source and your relationship to that source matters. I just think this is going to why, – why is this better than you know, the sidebar on Goodreads that says you might also like or on Amazon says you might also like? Because it's quote-unquote – another. it's a human you don't know versus an algorithm you don't know. I just think it's very tricky. Yeah, I think it's tricky too. It's You can see that the – impetus here is give people something that comes from a person, yes. not an algorithm, but it ignores what the person things are that people want. Right. Yes, yes, like, yes. <laughs> like, because algorithms are also made by people. And so people, mm-hmm. when they say like, I want books recommended by a person, not by an algorithm, they don't mean by any person. You're like, yes. I'm, I am a professional book recommender and I couldn't, I, I can't walk up to a stranger on the street and just be like, here's a book that you should read. Trust me. Because mm-hmm. I know books and and expect that interaction to go successfully for them to take the book and read it and love it because I'm magic. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I also think that this is why content is so 
important. Like Goodreads surfaces just lists of books, but it's not just lists of books because they're all accompanied by all those user-generated reviews. So you make friends on Goodreads, you read their reviews of things, you get that sort of person sense of this person I follow on Goodreads and have a feeling for likes or doesn't like this book. And so I will pick up this book or not pick up this book. It's not just a book cover with a synopsis of like, here is a book that we like, please read information about it. And I think like, I mean, obviously we are biased in how we think that these things work, but we have some success to back up that perspective that putting content, like having people who tell you why the books matter or are relevant or might be interesting or why this is a good book to read at a breakup instead of just like a page with book covers and you guess about each thing. Um, like I, I, I want to like hug the feeling behind all these websites when they launch, but be like, Oh, but it doesn't quite do it. Well, I think the part we've, people are finding is that personalized, personalized book recommendations. People seems like, but that they forget what personalized means. It's not just customized, but it's like making the idea of a person into an adjective, like it's person to person. And the more I look at this, I was looking a little bit this morning. Mm-hmm. It just, I, I just saw the news this morning. I don't know when you saw oh, yeah, this. I just saw it this afternoon. But it actually functions a little bit more like um, bookmarks from LitHub. Not that it gives grades, but if you click on the cover image, say, uh, Cory Doctorow's new novel, Walk Away, you click on it, there's a little synopsis, and then there are links to reviews and other sources. Mm-hmm. You know, some of that, like this one has one for self-awareness and dark matters I've never heard of. Which is cool. I mean, there's nothing wrong with me having heard of something. Or or um, uh, Vivek Shangbang's new Guitar Guitar, which I'm really interested in. There's reviews from IndieBound, the Irish Times, the Independent, the New York Times. Like, how are the book blogs? Uh, so it looks like it's more functioning at the present moment uh, as uh, a hub is the wrong way, but a portal to reviews or other... Mm-hmm. Rec- so in a way, it's like then you re- then it's really like do I know any of these people? Yeah, I'm just not sure. I'm I've just seen, not sure. I've just seen enough versions of this at this point. Yeah. Like last year, it was Rico or Reco. I don't remember how they yeah, pronounce Reco. it. Yeah, Reco made by the Indigo Books folks in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, who were, it's it's an app and it like it's beautifully designed. But they were like, and there's real people who put books in this app, and it was yeah. like, okay, but so what? Like, so what? what do I know about those people? What do those people know about me? Why right. are there like? Why do I care which books the people behind your app? That's the piece is like, mm-hmm. why do I care? Um, and until you make that connection with the customer or the reader, however you're thinking about it, like whether you think you're providing a service or you're selling something or ideally you're selling something, but you're also providing a service in the act of doing yeah. it. Right. It doesn't, you have to make the person care about the thing that you're recommending. And that goes for whatever you're selling. It goes for the bartender at the Roosevelt here who's Mm -hmm. like, you know, you always drink the seersucker, but here is another thing that I'm putting sweet tea syrup in. Do you want to try that? And And on that level, I think it's really hard to beat for what the internet is right now. It's really hard to beat looking at the Goodreads review Mm -hmm. because you're kind of getting an aggregation of like a bunch of regular readers what they say and you don't take necessarily one of them assuming unless and of course some there's someone you know which you, you can follow people on goodreads whatever but looking at you know it's the yelp of books basically right. and it's tough to beat that unless you have a really defined voice and a really personal connection um where the the recommendee has some investment in what the recommender is actually recommending mm-hmm. like uh, other Unless and, and you're right. If you don't do that, then it's, it's a different than an algorithm exactly because how be, uh, the emotional connection is no different. It's that a person is recommending it and it's limited. Like I, I you know I don't know if Sarah's bookshelves things make sense as a business or whatever, but at least you she's saying here's what I like and here's what I, or here's what I know and here's what I don't know. Right. And if you don't like this, then don't do this. That at least gives me some reason to you know, trust what she's saying because she's saying here's I'm that shows that she's a human, right? Mm-hmm. And not just like an aggregation of bots or like uh, a bunch of blogs that are being linked to that don't really have any center to hold them. So, you know, it's, it's a nice looking site. Um, I just don't know how, I don't see why this would succeed in place of other things. Now, yeah. you know, I, I could be wrong about that, but it's an interesting, it's funny that this came up right when we were talking about Book recommendations yeah, and the, and the nettlesome is, problem of personalized 
book recommendation. It is interesting. And I've followed, I think we both have followed Sam yeah. on Twitter Super for smart several woman. years. Really smart and interesting. It'll be interesting to see where else she, where she goes from here since it's obvious mm-hmm. from, or she says in this piece that this will be a hobby. So I'm much more interested in what her next gig is going to be because she does, yeah. you know, some really interesting and forward thinking things in publishing. And I, you know, I, you can see what she's going for yeah, here. Um, right. But Anyway, anyway, I mean, I think the the I mean, it's not an insight that we were that I think we're special about, but I think she's proceeding from a similar insight that we have, like book bloggers are doing interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. What can you do to amplify their voices? We took a different tactic than this, but I think it's actually, you know, there's something going on. There's something about book blogs, um, because if you read a book blog, an individual book blog, you really, you know, over time, you really do get to know them. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, but I think that Jew, that, that pixie dust gets lost if it just becomes links to individual book blogs that no one's ever heard before. I think that's tricky. Um, anyway. Okay. It is. It's tricky. It's Uh, tricky to rock a wreck. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It is. It is. You want to hear about our next sponsor and then we'll keep on cooking. Yeah, let's do one more sponsor. We can, we can get through the rest of this stuff. That's great. Yeah. All right. Our next sponsor this week is Startup by Dory Shafrir. This is a new novel. I just read it recently, really enjoyed it. So I'm happy to see it here this week. It's about three characters in the startup world in New York. Mac McAllister, first of all, that is an excellent startup bro name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he invented a successful app called Takeoff, and now he's ready to turn his brainchild into a billion-dollar business. Katya Pasternak is an ambitious young tech journalist hungry for a scoop that will drive traffic. And Sabrina Chloe Blum is a failed creator writer who has just rejoined a workforce that has gotten younger, hipper, and much more computer literate since she's been away. But before the ink on Mac's latest round of funding is dry, a scandal will engulf the lower Manhattan office building where all three of these characters work. Uh, So this novel is sharp. It's really entertaining. It deals with youth, ambition, love, money, technologies, inability to hack human nature, including book recommendations. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's, it's really great. It's smart. Dory for a long time has been a writer. Um, She's a senior culture writer at BuzzFeed News. She knows the world of tech and startups. And you can, you feel that in the book. Uh, And also that she understands that, you know, relatively unique experience of being a woman in the world of tech and startups, but also, um, especially for the Sabrina character, a woman who's a little bit older than all the 20 somethings that are running the show. Um, And it really does deal with uh, the, like the scandal has to do with sexual harassment between Mac and one of his employees. There's an ill-advised photo of a particular part of anatomy that, (laughs) sorry, Jeff. Um, People make some bad decisions with technology in this book. And she wrestles with sort of those, the power dynamics, especially when you're a young woman in a male dominated community. um, And what that, what sort of those dynamics of the startup world too, of like where your job is supposed to be everything. Those are your friends too. That's who you hang out with for fun. You just work forever and ever and never go home and don't have any balance. Um, And she does it all with a light touch. It's just an enjoyable read. I think it's perfect for um, coming up for summer travel. So again, that's Startup by Dory Shafrir, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. I'm definitely reading that. I yeah. have it on hold at the library. I think, you know, I think you'll like it, especially like in Silicon Valley season. Yeah. It's good. Well, it's interesting because there's not that many takes on, I mean, VC tech contemporary world that aren't like sort of proto dystopic versions like the yeah, circle or something right. like that or like, like the tech version of then we came to the end yeah right yeah 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 <laughs> this sounds a little bit more like um uh younger but for tech world right mm-hmm. like someone who's a, a little older has had different experiences and getting thrown into the realities of that it's a business like any other um just so happens that's how i'm really looking forward to that thanks to startup uh for sponsoring the show uh, speaking of tech, um, this is a follow-up that I had in the show notes for last week, and we just didn't get to it, um, that Kobo will integrate oh. Shelfie's technology into its e-readers and apps. Good. So that's really cool. Yeah, we really thought cool. it was an aqua hire. Yeah. Um, so they're basically, for those of you who haven't um, heard every in and out of our tracing of the Shelfie <laughs> timeline, basically it's an app where you take pictures of either, well, I guess the first iteration was, you could take a picture of the title page of your book. Yeah, with your signature of a print on it. book with your signature on it, and you could get uh, an ebook version of that same title for a, a deeply discounted or sometimes even free uh, 
price. Oh, and then they added this thing where you could take a picture of like your whole bookshelf at one go, and they would scan to see what it could make available. But it wasn't always the case that Shelfie had the rights to sell you the books, and that became its Achilles heel. And so with Kobo, you know, it's a big international ebook retailer, bigger in other countries than mm-hmm. in the U.S., um, but they theoretically have some clout and publisher relationships that I can imagine was difficult for Shelfie itself to navigate. Um, it seems like a nice tool to add into a, a, a wider e-reading ecosystem. Yeah, I like, think it, it's – well, I wonder, are they going to have the same licensing issues that Shelfie had? Like presumably Kobo, Kobo should have fewer of them. That's what I was kind of but saying is do, like they've yeah. got these other – relationships but they do still Um, run into like i know from having worked with folks at kobo like they do run into the the same things that all retailers run into about like what they can do with different ebook pricing and what they can offer for free or not and how that all works when i was reading this story last week the one thing that occurred to me is maybe you could scan all your books and maybe kobo could give you an alert like when some one of them goes on deep discount like an e-deal sort of situation like because you Kobo runs e-deals just like Amazon and Barnes and Noble or whatever. But if you have, you know, if it has, if it knows, if you've taken a picture of your physical bookshelves and it knows what you have and you say, you know, whenever there's an ebook version of one of my books that is available, send me an email. Mm-hmm. That would be pretty cool. That would be cool. I like that. Um, so that's one thing they could do. Okay, we got to we got to chug along here. Uh, Where do you want to go? R- R- I think we need to talk about Rick Riordan. I never know how to Riordan? say Riordan? I think it's Riordan. Riordan. I see. I know. I know. I. I know that I don't know how to say it. That's what I know about this. <laughs> Rowling thing. rhymes or roll. Dad, now I'm. Sassy, see, there you go. Rowell I'm like I'm like a towel. linguistic virus. You come into contact Rowell. with me, you don't know how to say anybody's name. <laughs> Patient zero. <laughs> so Rick Riordan. <laughs> and Patient Patient zero. Zero. Yeah, uh, he announced he of Percy Jackson fame. Yes, uh, announced a new imprint with Disney called Rick Riordan Presents, and in 2018 they'll be publishing three books by new authors. He said, uh, and he explains this is on his Tumblr. He's like, if you don't know what this imprint business is all about, here's how it works. Um, right. So he breaks out what an imprint is and what it's not and what's in it for him, um, and that's a really useful thing. But the so the books. Are are um, Aru Shah and the End of Time by Roshani Chokshi. Uh, let's see. Uh, Stormrunner by Jennifer Cervantes and Dragon Pearl by Yunha Lee. Um, so he is doing some diverse voices there and interesting stories that feel, you know, also based in um, myth and magic and mystery the way that the Percy Jackson books were. So this is his wheelhouse. Yep. Um, I like this. It's like an, a well-known author putting his stamp on new voices that do similar things. Like he's basically hand-selling new authors mm-hmm. to his fan base. He says that he's, he's gotten questions over the time because, you know, he's done Nor- Norse mythology and Greek mythology, mm. I think, to this point series. And people have asked him, are you going to do books in, in Hindu mythology or, you know, Asian mythologies? And he basically said, you know, that's a great idea, but I'm not the right person to write those books. Yeah. Um, so instead of trying to do them himself outside of his experience or, or, or I, I don't know what else he would do, ghostwriting or something else. He's saying, you know, let's tell, let's, let's use whatever cloud I've built up the trust, you know, that readers have with what the kind of stories I tell and how I tell them, but get some other people who actually could do this um, out of their own experience, their own culture, their own, you know, d- different kinds of yeah, things. That he's they doing know own voices. It. Yeah, basically an own voices situation. And it makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is a really cool idea and a responsible and yet, seemingly very profitable possible venture uh i'll be curious i guess what i'm curious is is that will the affinity for his name and books be enough i guess this is always the question Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm, right how much how much of that um you know i guess circle around you know how much what is the the sphere of influence yeah will it, it be enough to get people to pick up this book because it says rick reardon presents I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Like, this is not the first time that we've seen sort of celebrities or celebrity writers have their own imprints. But the one, the most recent one that I have paid any attention to was Anthony Bourdain got an imprint with Echo. Mm -hmm. And the books that he has, you know, produced under that imprint are all like kind of have a flavor that's not surprising if you know of Anthony Bourdain at all. But they're also not super tight around that Mm -hmm. flavor. And most of them have nothing to do with like 
the kind of world that he writes about, the world of food and eating and now travel and sort of global, I guess, global politics through the lens of food and eating and culture. Um, so it's a little like that's a little looser. But it seems to me that this I think this is a really smart way to do the imprint thing of like what readers come to Rick Riordan for mm-hmm. is this, you know, kids take on adventure and mythology and mystery. And he's like, you want more of those? Here are some more <laughs> by yeah. some authors that I trust. Like, I think if you set it up correctly, especially since the people buying his books are mostly parents buying them for their kids mm-hmm. um, or librarians buying them for, you know, school libraries or teachers for classrooms, that it could be very smart. And it could also be a huge boon to these authors to get their name, you know, stamped next yeah. to, to his name to sort of have that seal of approval from an author who's already very well established in this kind of thing that he does. Of course, we can't A-B test the universe, so we don't right. know how these books that he has signed would have done would have on their done own. Would have done either way, right. Um, but I think it's an, it's an interesting approach. It's like if Dan Brown did an imprint, it would have to be, you know, sort of other um, myth, culture, mystery, religion adjacent authors doing things. Right. Yeah, I wonder how the Bourdain's books have sold, by the way, now that you say that. But the other thing that just occurred to me is like, Reardon could have also done the James Patterson thing of say, like saying, you know, there's two author names on the book. Like, that's not what this is. Like, you know, this kind of thing matters, like Mm -hmm. presents versus his name big with another author's name smaller or even the same size. Like, this is not that version of using an author's name. Yeah. That's not what well, this is. We haven't seen the covers yet, so who knows, like, how... Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I'm just yeah. saying that they're calling it right. Presents, so I'm guessing that's going to be the branding. But you're right. It could be yeah. It could It'll, be something a little more ambiguous, let's yeah, put it that way. I think it's really interesting. Oh, this is totally random. But speaking of Dan Brown... Yes. One of my friends is throwing a birthday party at the art museum here in Richmond later this week, and the birthday party is a scavenger hunt... Where we have to yes, solve clues in. in the museum. Do you want to come? I am there. <laughs> Excellent. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll just uh, FaceTime you in for the whole I like, thing. I like, like don't this. mind me. Yeah. I'm just on my phone. It's like Ron Swanson <laughs> in Parks and Rec. Like he says, I definitely do not want a series a, a scavenger hunt with a series of increasingly difficult clues right. from my per- I definitely do not want that. <laughs> you definitely don't want to do scavenger hunt at the art museum. Uh, let's end with a, you know, we end with a, the, in the ongoing story. Um, this is a piece that appeared today in The Guardian. <laughs> Another thing about how ebooks have lost their shine, about how, you know, the, re- the resurgence of prints, the decline of ebooks, that managed to go the whole way without mentioning <laughs> one <laughs> sentence about the rising cost of ebooks. And I have, and please do keep sending me, even though I jokingly <laughs> quote, tweet, and retweet and reply to people sending me egregious uh, examples of uh, ebooks being more expensive than print copies. I got a slew of them today. Uh, Josh Corman, who's a, a book writer contributor and, and does the Read Harder podcast over Book Ride Insiders, said he did a post where all five of the books he was writing about were more expensive as ebook version than new print versions. Um, I was looking up, I, for some unrelated thing, I was looking up, oh, I was wondering when the, if the paperback version of Between the World and Me had come out, which it still hasn't, by the way, which it's going on two years now. And, mm. you, know, you, know a book, you know a book is selling mm-hmm. when you don't do that. But the, uh, the, the Kindle version of Between the World and Me is two and a half dollars cheaper than a hard, new hardcover. Nope. Uh, that. So that's unacceptable. And the, and the reason that they are using here, instead of actually thinking about a reason that makes sense, is that Kindles, like e-readers themselves, <sighs> are now on the this is like, it. it's not the ebooks. It's the it's it's not the razor blades. It's the handles. That everything are a about here. this piece makes me angry. The first paragraph is like you can't turn down a corner or tuck a flap in a chapter or crack the spine or flick the pages. Like when when are we going to get away from this? Right, and that I was, and that thing I keep saying that was also true when ebooks were meteorarch, right? Right. Paper book hasn't changed. Yeah. yeah, and this is and it, it like I think the thing Amanda said when somebody put this on Slack was yeah. like you know the declining appeal of e-readers does not equal the declining appeal of e-books. Like you can Kindles might have lost their shine, but yeah. 
that's related to the fact that we all carry magical little computers in right. our pockets. Yes. My that magic 5.5 inch supercomputer that right. I keep around. Yeah. That we can read on. You don't need a Kindle. Like in the world where no. smartphones are very common, you don't need a Kindle. Like people like, some people like them, but you don't need one because you can do that on your phone or you can do it on your tablet or whatever. Like Kindles might be clunky and unhip. That, whatever. Pull your little red wagon with that headline, but it, that has nothing to do with ebook sales because there are many other ways to read an ebook. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, look, I don't know the reason that let's say they they say eighteen uh, percent decline, seventeen percent decline in ebook consumer sales, while sales of physical books are up eight um, percent. I don't know the reason for that, and I'm not saying that my reason is right and theirs is wrong. All I'm saying is that the continuing blindness to price is shocking. <laughs> It's stupid and it's irresponsible. Like, I am ready to put on my tinfoil hat about this. Like, mm. have all of the people covering reading tech at like The Guardian and The Bookseller and The Washington Post and wherever else, like, have they all been to the same dinner party where they got paid off by somebody at one of the publishers who was like, <laughs> J- let's just not ever talk about the rising cost yeah. of ebooks and how that affects sales of them. But it, it does feel too, like it, it's, it's, it feels like. At this point, they have to be ignoring it on purpose. Like, like I just, the line of the I president's don't understand. Men would say, have you noticed that no one's talking about it? It's like, yes, and they're all talking, not talking to us in the same way. Exactly. Right? Like, exactly. Sort of interesting. Like, it does feel very conspiracy. Yeah. Like, I how, mean, how is it possible that when we're talking about sales of a thing, no one is looking at how pricing of the thing is related to sales of it? I. I just don't understand. I mean, and they also don't get, they never get anyone from an ebook retailer to, to comment. Like yeah. it's always, uh, you know, someone from the publishers association or an agent or Waterstones, which yeah. sells then, physical right. books. And like that's motivated like, reasoning. If I've ever heard, let's it. ask an indie bookseller why they think the physical book is winning. And then they like trot out an indie bookseller. Who's like, because community and books mm-hmm. smell good. And it's like, well, that might be true, it but also ebook true. pricing it might be true. Multiple variables here. There are confounding factors all up in this business. Yeah. I do like that. They mentioned audiobooks and the rise of digital downloads being up 20% as maybe a, a, another confounding factor, mm-hmm. which I, I'm willing to entertain as at least a, a road to explore and what's going on with <laughs> ebooks. Like if you're going to spend money not on physical books and maybe, you know, people think of their book buying money as having different pots that they're, they're mm-hmm. spending out of. If you're spending more on digital downloads of audiobooks, that might mean you're spending less on ebooks or you are using your reading time to do audiobooks rather than ebooks or physical books for that matter or something like that. So I like that they mentioned that because in the decline of quote unquote ebooks, the thing that no one ever talks about really, and they do here, which I'm, I'm trying to give them credit for um, backhandedly, I guess, is that they do mention that digital audiobooks are roaring. And all the things that they say are true about all the thing, all the qualities of physical books that they laud at the at the in the lead of this <laughs> article <laughs> are also untrue of audiobooks. Yeah. You know, like that's another thing that I think is very like all the, the the crap they say about how people are Instagramming books and whatever. All that same stuff is true of audiobooks yeah, as it is of ebooks, and yet audiobooks are the growth of audiobooks is triple that of physical books. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Like, I don't know how you, you know, uh, anyway. Yeah, it's just like someday we're going to write an op-ed that's like 10 questions we have about ebook sales and all of them are going to be like, why is no one talking about pricing? Why why is no one talking? All 10. And I think think what it is actually is that you you can't pitch... You it's, can write this article and interview a couple of people and get one stat about ebook prices being down and write this article. I think to really realize the pricing situation, you have to kind of do what we've done together. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you, Twitter followers and email uh, listeners. It's, uh, you look at you like, oh my God, prices are more. And it's not just because I think this is how this whole thing got started. Is one day I was like, hey, you know, Rick, it's weird. I was looking at these books and all the Kindle versions were more expensive than the new heart or the new pa- it was paperbacks at this point, mm-hmm. at that point. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? And then a bunch of people said, yeah, me too. And here's one, and here's an example. And that sort of, that became our sort of crowdsourced research is like, this is a wide ranging phenomenon. Um, that's more, and 
you don't know that because <laughs> so, Amazon doesn't talk about prices. We should all start tweeting all of these price differentials to the reporters from The Guardian. Yeah, like, I know. Everything I know. that I'm, gets tweeted to you, we should just forward on. Because I actually think the story about why ebook prices are so high is more interesting to uh-huh. me than the decline of ebooks. I mean, I think one is a symptom, is one is a cause. Yeah. Right. I think what's gone on that ebook prices are so much higher. And also, it seems like the discounts on physical book, especially especially paperbacks on Amazon, because that's what we're talking. I mean, that's the big market. Let's be honest about it for for buying books online and ebooks, especially that there's some there's something different happening, and we don't know what it is. And Amazon won't talk, but like at least say we don't know what's going on. You know, like one screen. All I need is one screenshot of a paper a new paperback being less expensive than the fourteen ninety nine Kindle version in one of these and mm-hmm. say, and here's another piece of the puzzle. Like, yes, I don't know what the narrative is, but it has to be part of the puzzling it out. It just, it just can't be that we just ignore it because then the other thing is like, you know, leave it to publishing to be the one to successfully defend its turf against digital technology mm-hmm. when probably that's the wrong thing to do. Yep. <laughs> like They're the one that actually did the thing that mu- mu- uh, blockbuster video and, uh, you know, uh, Virgin megastores were trying to do. Right. And, it, and it, you know, watch it bite them in the ass in five years. You know, that it, uh, that's it's very short sighted. I, I think it's very short sighted. Yeah, I don't know. If I maybe short sighted. It just seems like it's so hard to fight the future. Right. That's it's what I mean. Really like, hard to. The future is really going to happen. Our our pocket computers are going to get smaller yep. and more powerful and we're going to use them more. It's, right. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's super, just... it's super fascinating, um, to me, but I think the story, I guess that's where I keep circling back around is the story is not the percent decline in ebook sales. No, that's not the story. No, the story is the what story the is, hell is yeah. going on with ebook pricing. That's what the yeah. hell is publishing sort of in concert seeming to do mm-hmm. about ebook pricing when we just had these giant lawsuits that they got found of, a uh, uh, price fixing. Oh, good. I'm glad that prices. you now have your tinfoil hat on too. <laughs> Well, Come on over. I mean, if someone has already been accused of acting, mono- acting monopolistically, I don't think it's gambler. I don't yeah, think it's gambler's fallacy to say, "Well, geez, maybe that's." I'm doing not it. judging. It's a nice hat. Yeah, <laughs> when when a bank robber is convicted once, and then is never convicted again, it doesn't mean stop bank robbing. Mm, Might have been better. better they just it. gotten better at bank robbing. <laughs> Uh, okay, after your rant, let's close on a happy note because we have to yeah, wave some more Muppet arms happy. around for our friend Daniel Jose Older. Yes. Um, his Shadow Shaper YA fantasy series, which is so rad. It is just so rad. Uh, it's set in Brooklyn about people who can channel spirits through works of art. Um, and it's just amazing. Um, it got optioned for TV by Anika Noni Rose and her, mm. comping, her company. Who was the narrator of the audiobook of yeah, Shadow Shaper? Yes. Um, her company, Roaring Virgin Productions, they've optioned TV and film rights. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. As we know, getting optioned does not guarantee yep. that a thing will be produced, but the series is growing. But it won't. One. It's, it's a necessary but not sufficient condition. Right. You got to get optioned to be produced. Yeah. And the next one is called Shadow House Fall. It's out in September. These books are so much fun and they're great. They would be so much fun to watch. Um, and this could not happen to a nicer or harder working author like talk about somebody who is just you know hustling it is the it seems to me the golden age of adapting literary ip and i'm using literary just mm-hmm. to cover books in general uh literary ip to get a tv deal out of it like between netflix and amazon and now apple's in it and hulu and all the things we've talked about there is a there is a uh you know a, a tulip seeming tulip market emerging for uh adaptable series especially um, and so many more outlets and people throw, you know, Amazon and Netflix, especially throwing money at TV shows to gain market share, which if you're, if, if you've got Titans, you know, billion dollar international conglomerates throwing money at each other to gain market share, and you are the seller of that thing mm-hmm. that they're trying to buy to get, that is a cat. That's what we call the catbird seat. Um, so I hope, I hope all the authors get paid, uh, exorbitant amounts of money for the right. Yes. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I hope. Yeah, so that's awesome news. I hope we'll get to watch it on TV soon. Yep. I want it to be TV so that I can watch it for a long time. But congratulations, Daniel. Yeah. Yep. We're super happy for you. Get them checks. Yeah, and I guess that's our show. That's our show. Thank you so much. Uh, dads, grads, moms, rec show. Get them in by Wednesday after the show's released. Uh, podcast at bookrat.com. Thanks so much. I found you by Lisa Jewell. And uh, 
startup, startup um, for sponsoring the show. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. <laughs>